The biggest misconception or, or mistake is that the gym is a place where you go to break a sweat, burn a calorie, and to feel the burn. Welcome to How Do You Feel, a podcast with info and inspo to help you tune in to your fitness, nutrition, and mindset. I'm your host, Casey Zavaleta, and together we'll explore how we can optimize our physical and mental health so that we radiate positivity and happiness from the inside out. It takes a very special type of person to leave what could be considered as the pinnacle job in sports and conditioning in pursuit of a vision that you've had since you were a kid. Tim DeFrancesco is that special person. For six seasons, he was the head strength and conditioning coach with the LA Lakers from 2011 to 2017. And after six seasons of learning from and working with the team, he decided that it was time for him to move on and pursue his own business and his own vision that would help change people's lives. TD Athlete's Edge was born from that vision and born from Tim's willingness to pursue something in spite of having what many viewed as the ultimate job, what most coaches would never be able to turn away from. I had so much fun talking to Tim on this week's episode of the podcast. He is so clear on his mission and his vision for his business. And I love the opportunity to hear him talk about that and talk about why he does what he does and the types of struggles that he's helping his clients through on a daily basis. Tim has a doctorate in physical therapy, but somewhat uniquely, he chose not to pursue a more traditional physical therapy role and he chose to act as a strength and conditioning coach in the gym environment because that was the place that he felt most connected to. He loves working on the performance side of things, But as he explains in the podcast, he feels that his background in physical therapy really informs everything that he does and the decisions that he's making with his athletes. We talked a lot in this episode about how disconnected the worlds of physical therapy and training are and how important it's going to be as we move forward for those two things to come together. In this episode, we talked about Tim's journey through fitness We talked about his tenure with the Lakers and what that opportunity was like, what it taught him, and what he took away from being able to coach athletes at the highest level in sport. We talked about his business, TD Athletes Edge, and their facility, and how he really strives to empower people to regain their ability, their function, and their fitness in everyday life. We talked about how people are all too willing to wave the white flag and submit to the pain that they're feeling or the fact that maybe they'll never be able to run again or feeling like they're not going to be able to play with their kids when they're older and really showing people that through the right programming and with good functional strength training programs and moving properly, you can start to regain those things. We talked about how Tim and his team approach their programming and how they keep it simple. We talked about what Tim wants people to understand when they walk out of his facility doors that maybe they didn't understand before. Whether you're a trainer or an athlete or somebody that's simply interested in fitness and going on their own fitness journey, Tim is an amazing person to learn from. 
I felt very connected to so many of the things that he was saying and talking about, which is why I'm so excited to share this episode with you guys. I hope that you enjoyed my conversation with Tim DeFrancesco. Well, hi, Tim. Welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you on. I'm excited to get to talk with you today. Thanks so much, Casey. It's exciting to be on. I would love if you could tell us just a little bit about yourself to start, a little bit about your story, maybe how you got into fitness. And then I would love to know at what point you decided that fitness was going to be your career path. I think very early on, I can remember being in in high school, maybe even middle school, and and talking with my brother, Scott DeFrancesco, about how we can do something in our profession where it involves sports and athletics and being fit and helping people with that. So that was always sort of a, a bug for me. And I think that a lot of that probably stemmed from being a fairly ungifted athlete of uh, <laughs> in my own right, and yet surpassing some of my own potential just out of sheer creativity and grit in order to figure out a way around that and, and do the things that I loved and really enjoyed doing that in my own process. And then said to myself, this would be really fun to help other people figure out. And I can't be the only one that's trying to figure this out. But I think it really got galvanized for me in undergrad when I, I went to Endicott College in Beverly, Massachusetts. It's a small division three school. And I was there to go get my degree in athletic training um, and license in athletic training, but I also played basketball there. So, um, so, so for me, when I got there, I, it was a little bit of an eye opener that some of these smaller division three schools didn't or wouldn't have a strength and conditioning coach or somebody that is full-time staff member that's helping with that part of the process. And what happened from that was that the, head coach of our team asked me to basically be in charge of creating the program for our team because he realized I was headed in that direction and that space of things and essentially said, look, you're going to have as good of a, a shot at figuring this out as, as I am or anybody else around here. So why don't you go ahead and create the team's offseason and, and preseason strength and conditioning program. Through that, I was nailing together plywood and creating plyometric jump boxes and reading every article I could get on how you create a comprehensive basketball specific strength and conditioning program. I wouldn't really like to go back and look at that program right now (laughs) on what I know now. But at the time, it was everything that I could figure out. And uh, at the end of that, I had my own teammates coming up to me saying, look, I don't know how you put all that together. I I don't even know half the stuff we just did. But I've never been so ready for a basketball season in my life. That moment, and as I tell it right now, I, I get goosebumps just talking about it. And so for me, not knowing it at, at that time, but that really did become my why. That moment and, and achieving that moment over and over and over again for people is really the reason why I got into this field. To give a little bit more of the traditional timeline, the time at Endicott was a four-year stop there. And then I immediately went to University of Massachusetts Lowell to get my doctorate in physical therapy. During that time, I started to think about how I was going to connect the dots for people I got an opportunity to work with, whether it be athletes, general population, or anything in between. As a side note, one of our, our beliefs and sayings here at TD Athletes Edge is that all humans are athletes. So that's probably going to be something that we get back into later on. So whether you're 
quote unquote gen pop or you are quote unquote an athlete. We're all athletes. But as I was trying to piece it together and figure out what is my toolbox going to look like and how can I best help an individual be their physical best self, it was really clear to me that this PT background was going to be very helpful. But then there was also this side of strength and conditioning and performance that I, I needed to sort of dive into a little bit further than just the experience I had creating my own basketball team's strength and conditioning program in undergrad. And so I looked around at traditional physical therapy environments and I looked around at traditional weight room environments and I felt like there was just not a good connection where somebody is connecting those places and or having a fluid language and conversation between the two. Mm-hmm. And 100%. I've experienced yeah. that as well. Yeah, they're two very separate worlds, which is interesting because they can complement each other so well. Both sides are so important. Yeah, and I heard Kelly Stratt say this one time, and it was like, I guess I thought that everybody felt this way. And, and he, he was saying, why would somebody go to one of the two stops on that sort of background and experience and curriculum base and not go to the other? Mm-hmm. How can you even consider that? You know, so to me, it was just an obvious next step. Once I check this series of boxes and understand the the PT and rehab end of things, I, I really have to then go do the same for the strength and conditioning end of things. And also found that that's really the seat on the bus that I prefer to be on. So after PT school, I, I found out quickly that I was less enthusiastic, passionate, and excited to sit on the seat of a traditional physical therapist-based role and really enjoyed being more on the side of the strength and conditioning performance and being able to connect the two. And I really was able to own that. I think a lot of physical therapists go through a, a pretty rigorous background in, of education and schooling and say, well, this is what I am now, even though that is fun over there in the strength and conditioning side. You know, I can't just waste that time and effort I put into becoming a PT and then suddenly call myself a strength and conditioning coach. But for me, I was all too willing to do that. And it made perfect sense to me to essentially use the PT background in a way that magnified my skill sets in the other space. And I, I think the other thing that often happens in, in that process is you have physical therapists that want to just sort of dabble or kind of dip their toes into the S&C side. And the, the issue there is unless you're really, you've really experienced a cannonball into that pool, you're going to have a hard time just slightly understanding it and, and then speaking the full language fluently when you get into that zone. As I connected the dot and really dove head first into the S&C side of things and a lot of it being self-taught or, or put myself in as many con ed and real life experiences and be a fly on the wall in as many weight rooms as I could be and that kind of thing, it really triggered what is now and sort of molded what is now TD Athletes Edge. TD Athletes Edge really did begin back in my high school and middle school years where I had that conversation with my brother about how are we going to do this? What, what, what is this thing that we're going to create where we can do that? And that ultimately became TD Athletes Edge in its first real physical location version back in 2007. And then my brother and I worked at developing and a third co-founder, Jed Sturman, the three of us created it in more of a three-pronged approach and the pillars that it stands on being training, nutrition, and recovery. The three of us had complementary skill sets that we brought to the table and it became a fun puzzle to begin to solve. 
And then the Lakers called basically. So <laughs> oh, it was after TD Athletes Edge was founded. That's right. That's right. A lot of people are interested to find that out. But mm-hmm. um, TD Athletes Edge was well before the Lakers came. When they came along and uh, essentially I had taken a half year position in minor leagues of, of the NBA that ultimately put me on the radar of some of the staff with the Lakers really unbeknownst to me. And I had taken that job not to get to the NBA. That That was not my agenda. My agenda was to build out a deeper skill set to really get a great understanding of the team setting of high performance sport and then utilize that within what TD Athletes Edge can become and could become. But while I was there, the the Lakers became aware of my skill set and were looking for a individual to really take over their weight room who had a PT background and yet could run a weight room at the same time. So I think at this point, that was well close to over 10 years ago, but I think at this point now, there's more of those individuals, more of those people out there that are understanding and sort of becoming dual or triple certified of, you know, in my case, athletic training, strength and conditioning and physical therapy. But at that time, there wasn't a lot of that. And there was traditional physical therapists, there was traditional athletic trainers, and there was traditional strength and conditioning coaches. And so Gary Vitti with the LA Lakers, who has years of experience and really rich experience in going to 12 NBA finals and winning eight of them with the Lakers in their heyday, had enough of a a forward thinking approach to where he said, I think the days are over where we want just a traditional version of one of those in each of the spots. Um, I spent six seasons with the Lakers as the head strength and conditioning coach. Really, during that time, I had realized that opportunity was as much value as it brought to me and on a daily basis, but on a sort of long-term basis and, and credibility that it brought to me and enjoyment that it did bring to me. It was always in the back and then eventually becoming to the front of my mind of how am I going to get back to doing and building out this vision of TD Athletes Edge. When the time came and after that sixth season, it was sort of apparent to me that the time was right for me to make a move back to building that vision more full time. I took that risk and I took a position that many people would consider the pinnacle of this space and said, thank you for the opportunity and the time to be here and I have to go do this. And it ended up being essentially me following my gut and my heart on that and turning out to be really the absolute right move. My wife and I, and at the time, one-year-old daughter moved back across country and didn't have a place to start this thing called TD Athletes Edge, but knew what needed to be done to get it going once we did find that, found a space, and here we are. Good for you for following your gut and following your heart and knowing like where your true passion was. Yeah. I think in the little bit of exposure that I've had to athletes at that high of a level, at a professional level, it's interesting because it's a very different world. It's a very yeah. different space when you're that specialized and when you have athletes that have so much experience and have had so much success. It's just a very different mindset than the kind of impacts that you can have on the everyday person's life. So yeah. it's interesting, you know, while it, you're saying it does seem like the pinnacle, I don't know, there might there may not be as much fulfillment in it and a job title in and of itself. Right. What, do, what does that bring you really, right. right? Deep down. I'm interested though, when you were at the Lakers, were those athletes very coachable, quote unquote? It, it's like anything else in society. It was sort of like a 30, 30, 
30-10 breakdown of, of the locker room. So you had 30% of people that were just all in and like, hey, I, I'm open and early adapter to what's new and I want to I be coach. Mm-hmm. And um, you have 30% that are like, okay, I'm, I'm here to, I'm happy to do um, the things that are um, need to be done. I, I don't want to rock the boat. I, I want to make sure I stay balanced and do, do what it takes, but I'm not all in. And then there's the folks that are there to just do what is enough. You tell me what's enough and that's what I'll do. And then there's the 10% that really don't care. And so, you know, <laughs> that, that's how I, I describe the locker room. It's easy to work for the first 30%. It's, it's fairly easy to work with the second 30%. If you can find a way to, to convert some people into one of the 30% categories above, then you, you chip away at that. Um, and then you understand that there's going to be 10% that you're, you may not connect with. I've, I've over time recognized that putting my efforts and energy into the people that are really coachable and then letting the rest take care of itself was the best method there. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. If you had to summarize and try and package up what you learned from your experience with working with those athletes, what would you say? They're highly skilled at, at, at their craft. And so my job was, and my agenda had to be to make sure that they are ready and prepared to do their skill. There's plenty of professional athletes that are not the best athlete on the court, on the um, field, on the track, whatever it is. They are very skilled at that skill set. And so alternatively, you could take the agenda of let me take these very good athletes and make them even more athletic and worry about how I increase their performance. And I think that when you go that route, you, you lose sight of how do I keep this person ready to do their skill and, and healthy and ready and you know, do what is necessary to get them to that point versus breaking a, um, some sort of a performance measure with them. Mm-hmm. Injury prevention yeah. is massive. Yeah, absolutely. Keep them doing what they do well. Yeah, exactly. I would love to talk more about TD Athletes Edge in its current form. And yep. if you could tell us a little bit about your facility and your training philosophy with the business, that would be awesome. Ultimately, our training philosophy is to help people, um, as I stated before, humans, people, all humans are athletes. And so is to help people to learn how to get strong the right way and stay strong and be the healthiest and best physical version of themselves. That can mean many things, and we have many different starting points of people that come to work with us. And a lot of times it includes some level of their experience along a vicious cycle of personal trainers, physical therapists, or DIY fitness attempts that have not really gone well. The the underpinning piece of what we're trying to help people with is to find a sustainable process within that and and enjoyable. Our approach is less about the result of, okay, this month, did you lift? Can you lift more weight on this exercise? Or did you lose this much body fat? Or did you gain this much muscle? It's more along the lines of, are you developing the habits that are helping you to feel better, move better, and accomplish the things outside of here when you leave here in a way that 
weren't in place or you weren't feeling when you started with us. I love that. What are the biggest misconceptions or mistakes that people are making when they come to you? The, the biggest misconception or, or mistake is that the gym is a place where you go to break a sweat, burn a calorie, and to feel the burn. Bunging onto that idea is this other piece that a lot of people hold is that there's a quick fix, fix option out there that can help me to catapult into this result that I'm looking for. I think from our end, just meeting them at the point that they're at and explaining sort of what this process is going to look like and reframing their mindset that if we look back and we're honest about what you're telling me and what I'm hearing from you, you've had a little bit of a trial and tribulation in this space of fitness rehab and, you know, going to the gym in general and took a while to kind of get you to that point. I'm also hearing that that was very frustrating and that you've sort of tried it a number of different times and had the same results. So if we all can agree on that, then we can agree that taking four to eight weeks with us in a slow build process that may include some one-on-one type work with you um, and you trusting that that's what's going to be necessary to kind of get over the hump of, of that vicious cycle once and for all is kind of where we try to step in and how we, we try to approach that. And I think that's that biggest mindset change that people are hopefully beginning to recognize about what is good about being fit and then what fit means and what strong means and is, is that it just my body feels good when I do the things I want to do. At the end of the day, like that's, it's too simple for a lot of people to say, mm-hmm. well, it can't be that easy. There's got to be like, isn't there a number we're supposed to measure that tells us that that's happening or that, you know, this is really the thing. And I think it's hard for people to not have a number attached to something. I think it's hard for people to digest something being really simple sometimes and, and, and yet still effective. What we found is that when people are able to start to shift that mindset slowly in the beginning of the process and then, you know, skeptically often give it a chance, then see like, wow, I mean, honestly, after six sessions here, not going to lie, like I'm not finishing my tennis match like I need to go to the hospital in terms of how my hips and my back feel. And I haven't really done a lot with you guys yet. So maybe there's something to this. Once they start to feel that, especially early on in the process, it, it becomes much easier to say, yes, we're just getting started and think of how powerful this will be if, if you were to give four weeks, another four weeks and another four weeks and, and so on and so forth. Yeah, I think that I wholeheartedly agree with everything you just said there. And I just want to highlight that it's the mindset shift Yeah. from every time I go in the gym, it needs to be hard. I need to be beating right. myself up. Like I have to be on the floor at the end of it. And it becomes such an energy taker in your yep. life versus when you start thinking of it in a sustainable way where you're going to feel good and you're going to get in the gym and you're actually going to give yourself energy. It's an energizing activity after that. It's the most important shift that a client can make in their journey. Exactly. And I I love that. And I I think yesterday with myself, I I have a, a program that I'm currently following, which is on some days a fairly aggressive training program. But yesterday, I knew I wasn't going to have quite enough time to finish the full workout that was on paper 
I also was not feeling like that level of intensity and, and volume of work was, was feeling like I was excited for that that day. And could have been easily one of those days where I say, you know what, I'm going to toss this one in the trash and I'm going to try to maybe get that workout in tomorrow or something. But I just took a sidestep and went off the paper and I moved a little bit and I got a little warm up going. I said, this feels pretty good. I'm going to get a couple of big bang exercises back to back to back. And I got 20, 25 minutes of good work in and it was off script. It was not, you know, super aggressive or intense or much volume. But it allowed me to just, you know, not miss that day. And it allowed me to feel like, okay, I, I really accomplished something in, in, the, in the gym today. I definitely felt better afterward. And it's that, like, what you brought up, this is something a lot of times, you know, even the athletes with the Lakers would have this idea that, like, what's the point of me coming to the weight room right now? I'm exhausted from the game last night. And if I, I'm not, I can't give you enough to have that really all-out killer workout. Is it really even any point for me to come in? And the answer is yes. Human nature is to say, you know, no, it's all or nothing or yes, no, I have to do this thing on paper as it exists. I'm going to force it. I'm going to force feed myself this workout. Instead, if you could just sort of look at this approach and say, what's going to make me feel really good in this moment of time that I have this window that I have to do this? And how do I live to fight another day? I always advocate following programs for people, but I think that it's also an important shift when you realize that a program is on paper and it exists on paper. You're living in real life. Right. The paper doesn't know how much sleep you got the night before. It doesn't know how stressed you are at work. It doesn't understand your nutrition. So can we start to see this as an outline and can you start to realize that you're also living your life so can you take the program and can you be flexible enough to then fit that into your life and i think that's a really hard thing for a lot of trainers and a lot of people that have these high performance mindsets right where they're just like this all in and it has to be to the exact and they want to know you know how to maximize every single workout like you know the kind of person but it's an important thing to realize that's a great way to put it. The paper doesn't know what went into the bucket before the 42, 48 hours or 72 hours before and or what's coming up next for you. Neither does the person who put the program on paper. You can't take that into account when you're putting that on paper. Even if it's a beautifully drawn out program, like you said, this is a, a guide. This is not a Bible. This is not a you know set in stone type of of a situation. And you know, really having that ability and willingness to recognize either as a trainer who's put it on paper and it's easy to kind of get tied to that emotionally and say, no, this is, I did this on purpose. So you need to do this and recognizing when the time is to not do that. But as the recipient of the program and looking at it as not a etched in stone program, but as a a guide, it just, it could be a much more enjoyable process for people when they have that mindset, that approach of what your expectations are. Definitely. Speaking of programming, how do you approach your programming for your clients? So it starts with an initial assessment. So we'll do a one-hour assessment on everybody that work, that trains with us. So uh, nobody trains in our space without doing that. And awesome. it, it gives us, yeah, so it gives us a roadmap. And it's not rocket science. I just, at the end of the day, I want to see you lunge. I want to see you squat. I want to see you touch your toes. I want to see you do a push-up of some variation. I want to see um, you walk, maybe light jog. I, I just want to see you move. It can 
essentially give us ideas of where your starting points are on a lot of our progression series of exercises and fundamental movements and strength building movements. But that's all it is. It's, it's not, and I, I think this is exactly right. This is far from my idea, but it's one that I really like a lot, which is your, the goal of an assessment or evaluation is not to stump somebody. It's not to make them falter or, or over challenge them. The goal of the assessment or the orientation is to gather information. And on top of that, I think a big key is on, in addition to gather information for yourself, begin to build excitement and enthusiasm for the process that is to come for the individual. And if you do five exercise, uh, five tests in a row that they basically can't do, that's defeating instead of empowering. And so you have this window of opportunity immediately when you meet somebody in the, in the assessment to begin to empower them. And I want people leaving our assessment saying, that's it. That was easy. Uh, okay. I kind of got this like good mm-hmm. versus yeah. like, man, the assessment with TD today was so hard. I failed like six of them. I knew I was going to be bad at this. Mm-hmm. Like it's really important to kind of look at it that way from a, a coaching standpoint or, or a, um, a trainer standpoint. Yeah. But, that's such yeah. a great point. It's not a fitness test. It doesn't have to be no. a fitness test. You're going to no. work on that stuff later. Right. Yeah. It's nice to get baselines once in a while. It's nice to go ahead and, and measure some things here and there and, and kind of use them as, as benchmarks and that kind of thing. But when you get caught up in that and, and make it a test instead of an assessment, it, it, it becomes two different things. So once we gather the information from the assessment, members basically have an opportunity, have a chance to select from one, two, three, or four days per week training packages. And we create an individualized plan based off of what we found in the assessment, what their goals are, what their injury history is, all of that. I think a lot of people are afraid to admit this, but at that point, many of us as humans who are athletes, all humans are athletes, need a lot of the same things. So it's not that all of our members get the same workout, but there's certain fundamental strength building positions and movements that we want all of our members being exposed to. It's just a matter of finding where on the starting point, where on the progression series they are. Some of those progression series can be very, very big and and vast. So you have to find sort of the right starting point and progress them accordingly as we do that. We're simply going to plug and play with the information we have and knowing the rough template of fundamental movements and strength building positions that we want to expose our members to that are going to direct them to the goals that they have. Yeah, that can vary and differ a lot, or it can be very similar from from person to person. Mm -hmm. I think it's a great point that programming doesn't have to be rocket science, especially when you have someone who you're trying to establish some foundations with. You just want them moving well, right? So let's just do the basic movement patterns well. It doesn't have to be crazy complicated programming. No, and I think it's really tempting for especially young programmers to want to wow their first client or this person out of the gate with exercises that are really cool or sexy. And that typically doesn't end well. Yes, very true. When someone walks out of your facility doors, what's something that you want them to know that maybe they didn't know when they walked in? We want them to know that they're not doomed, basically. I think a lot of people get to a point in their physical life where they 
say, I, I've got a bunch of miles on my body. I've done this, that, and the other thing. I had these surgeries. This is just kind of how it's going to be. I'm going to have a sore knee every morning when I wake up. Maybe I can loosen it up with a couple exercises. Maybe I can. At the end of the day, it's probably going to be swollen. My back's going to always be at like a four or eight, six out of 10 discomfort. And if I do other things, it could go up to a 10 out of 10. I have to just not do those things anymore. Um, I used to love to run. I can't run anymore. I just, you know, never found a way to enjoy that with how things feel after I run never knew how to support that habit and and be prepared for it in the long term and so oh well I guess this is just part of getting older or getting you know going through life walking out of here feeling like geez I I don't know I didn't think I was gonna run again I don't know I didn't think I was going to be able to climb a mountain again I didn't think I was going to do xyz activity that I used to love to do or that I, I had to dial way back on that's pretty cool. And let's see where this process can take me. And, and I think that's the biggest thing. Why do you think people are so tolerant of living with pain? Mm. It almost, it seems like you're, I mean, it's such a good point. It seems like everybody is that way. They're like, yeah. well, my right knee just always hurts. And right. they're not doing anything about it. They just seem to be submitting to that. Why do you yeah. think that is? Yeah, I, th I think it's the onus on that goes to both parties. The individual, um, sort of just getting uh, beaten down with sort of, I've, I've tried a bunch of different things, DIY style or not. And it just is like, uh, well, I, I kind of throw the white flag up and then be the other side being the clinician often is not doing a good job of empowering. Instead, they're creating this mentality of, okay, that's going to be there. So we better stop doing these 10 things and then just do these things though. That should be fine. And then, Oh, if it hurts, ah, skip it. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, that sort of mentality is really reinforcing this idea. Like this is here. We can't do anything. All we can do is skip it because if there was something else, if there was a way to, you know, improve this issue, then they wouldn't tell me to just skip it. Mm -hmm. So, I think it's both. It goes both ways. We, we as clinicians have an opportunity to empower or to defeat them in that process. And the end user has the ability to have a mindset of, no, the human body is really resilient and damn it, I have a human body and I'm not going to give into this and we're going to figure this out. You know, I think this is, this comes back to um, having more people that are physical therapists that understand training and more trainers that understand physical therapy and those two worlds linking up. Right. I'm, I'm astounded at the number of physical therapists that I send clients to that say, you shouldn't be training. Oh. Like instead sure. of understanding that there are so many things we can do and that the training is what's going to be their rehab to get them back to moving well and back to pain free. Like it's just, it's so backwards, but it's irresponsible. It's disrespectful to the individual. It's, you know, it's, it's really, really bad, dangerous stuff. When a, a medical doctor or a, a physical therapist says, just stop doing these things. Let's just rest ice get a shot, take a pill, you know, whatever it is that is this passive uh, approach to crossing our fingers and hoping it's going to take care of itself and then just eliminating things that mean a lot to us from our life and saying that this is how we help people. It, yeah, it drives me crazy when I hear that. And it's like from the medical doctor side, even it's like this thing of like, whoa, 
you as the gatekeeper of these people, if anybody is critical in this process, it's you and you're saying, you know, shut it down. I, I just think it's really, really unfortunate that that happens, but Hey, we're out here fighting the good fight and we're going to get this mindset changed. <laughs> That's right. As trainers, um, we all have those handful of clients in our minds that have really touched us and that have taught us something and have changed yeah. us for the better. I'm curious if um, you have any of those people in your life. And if so, if you could tell us uh, about one of them and what you learned from them. If I, if I take from my time with the Lakers, um, there were, there's two individuals there that stand out. Steve Nash and, and Meta World Peace, formerly Ronar Test, were uh, players that were at the tail end of their career when I got to them. Um, often you can become sort of crusted and cemented into your ways and saying like, this is what it is. I, this is how I do things. I'm, I'm, I'm really not interested in changing much up right now. Um, but they just had this growth mindset as, as people, you know, commonly refer to now in the, in the buzz term there, but to, to say like, I don't care how old I am or how many years I've been in this league, there's always something new for me to learn. And, you know, Tim, you seem to have some different thoughts that I, than maybe I've worked the other, other people that I've worked with and tell me, let me try. I, I want to, you know, I'll give you feedback if I think it's helpful or not. That's, that's my call, but like, I'm open. I, I think of those two guys in that experience uh, that have helped me or that I really just appreciated a, a tremendous amount of that, that working with them that really was, um, enjoyable and, and valuable for me to work with in that, that type of mindset. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Both perfect examples of a growth mindset. That's right. Awesome. So to round things out, we're running yeah. low on time, but to yeah. round things out, I want to do a yep. quick, uh, rapid fire round for you. All right. So, all right. Quick right. questions, quick answers. Okay. So if you have two hours of free time on a random evening, what are you going to do with it? If my daughters are asleep and... Um, uh, How many uh, daughters do you have? Now? I have two daughters, yeah. a, three, a three-year-old and a, a four-month-old. So mm-hmm. um, if, if they're not asleep, I probably would be playing some version of hide-and-go-seek. But if they were asleep, I would probably read at that point. Yeah. Uh, recently, that's a, that's a habit that I've tried to get a little bit more, a lot more consistent and ferocious with. So that's been really fun developing that habit for me or redeveloping. I think it's, you know, we kind of go in, in ebbs and flows of habits in our life. So, so that's probably what I would do there. Awesome. If you had to eat one food or meal for the rest of your life, what would it be? I would say... Any, anything uh, Mexican or taco style, I'm, I'm in on it. Mexican guy, I like that. Yep. Do you have any hidden talents? I competed as a, uh, in, in a, uh, a competitive barbecuing circuit uh, in, in New England. And so I will take my chances against anybody in, um, in making the best pulled pork in town. So that's, that's, that's pretty cool. That's a very useful skill. I like it that. Is. It is. <laughs> So yeah, I, I could barbecue with the best. Nice. Yeah. If you could have dinner with anyone in the world, who would it be? If I, if I had some more time, I, I think I could come up with a better answer than this, but I, off the top of my head, I would say Bo Jackson. 
so he was he was my athletic childhood idol and um, I just think his story, if, if you know it at all, he, he was a kid that really suffered from uh, stuttering and, and just didn't kind of have a spot in life as he was, you know, growing up and then obviously found it through sport and then had a, a really, you know, kind of unique experience as a, as a dual sport athlete. I, I think there's probably somebody out there that, that would be right up there with him for me, but off the top of my head, that's who comes to mind. Okay, my final question. I ask everybody this that comes on the podcast. What makes you excited to get out of bed in the morning? Uh, TD Athletes Edge does. Nice. Great. Okay, Tim, this has been awesome. I really enjoyed learning from you, connecting with you. I think your your philosophies and some of the things that you're talking about are going to be great for the listeners to hear about. If they want to connect with you and learn more, where can they go to do that? Absolutely. So I am most act- active on social platforms on uh, on Instagram. So at TD Athletes Edge, um, visit our website www.tdathletesedge.com. I'm also on Twitter at TD Athletes Edge. Facebook. Uh, we do have a YouTube channel that you can search through TD Athletes Edge and have a lot of great um, exercise based content there. So any and, and all of those places and to connect and not only just check it out, but to reach out on those uh, platforms is, is very encouraged. Awesome. Thanks so much. Excellent. Thank you, Casey. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of how do you feel? I hope that everybody learned something from Tim. Reminder that we release a new episode every Monday morning. So make sure that you hit subscribe so that you don't miss our weekly episodes. You can find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, or the podcast website, howdoyoufeelpodcast.com. Thanks so much for listening, guys. Also a reminder that ratings and reviews really do go a long way. I appreciate them so much. So if you have a moment to review the podcast, that would mean the world to me. All right, guys, I think that's all I have for you. Make sure you get out there and do something that makes you feel good today.